Yes, some pet shop boys this afternoon for no particular reason. What have I done to deserve this by, uh, yes, the synth-pop duo. Uh, and according to Tenet, uh, it's uh, one of their, well, it was just one of their most favourite song, favorite songs. And a 2017 article for NME, Nick Levine called it possibly the greatest pop song in history. I'm not sure about that, Peter, but I see got got got, oh. you, got you boogieing. Yeah, I love Pet Shop Boys. Um, How, and tell me. Well, well, well at, at that time, I was I was into them, Fine Young Cannibals, and, te- and um, te- was it Tears for Fears? Um, we played Tears for Fears <laughs> yesterday. Yep. And so all three Sharp. of them, so all three of them. I was because I was into, and so at, at that stage, it was an era, wasn't it, Victoria? Oh, it was amazing. I'm with Peter on all of those bands. Uh, Pet Shop Boys always on my mind too. You know when they redid Elvis's song is brilliant. Yeah. Now he, here's one. Uh, the duet is by What Singer. They decided. I was going to say that Tenant decided to work with this particular singer instead of uh, EMI suggesting Tina Turner or Barbara Streisand. But uh, Neil Tennant said, no, I want to work with one particular singer. Who was it? Texie 2101. Uh, now, here is a suggestion for you from Celia, Victoria. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't Victoria Stewart get in her husband's ute and move all the instruments to suit her? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the old eye for an eye. I may have to go down that route, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us how it goes. 25 to 5, the panel, RNZ National. Sick of supply chain issues? Had an eye on that lazy boy online, but won't be in stock until sometime in December? Don't hold your breath. Experts are warning New Zealand may face another wave of supply chain disruptions this summer. This from a mid-year risk outlook from Massey University's Supply Chain Risk Analytics Network. With us to discuss is Dr. Carol uh, Bezadenhout, Senior Lecturer in Supply Chain Management at Massey University. Kia ora. Welcome to the panel. Yeah, right, Wallace. The issues today, I mean, it makes three years ago, uh, Dr. Bezaden Hoat, seem like a dream run, doesn't it? You could get anything you wanted whenever you wanted. Yeah, um, Wallace, things will probably take a long time to get back to that level. And some people are actually saying we may never get back there. So oh. things have actually been improving a little bit in the, in the last few months, but um, the future may not be in the same trajectory. Wow. We may never get back to that level. So um, remember those heady days, diarise them, write, write them down. What are you anticipating for summer? Um, there, there are two things at play. So on a, on a longer term scale, there's a lot of what um, the academics will call reshoring. We're moving a lot of businesses out of countries, which in the past were maybe a little bit cheaper to produce things in. And with robotics and new technologies, it's now possible to bring some of those uh, manufacturing facilities back home. So though that changes the entire logistics space. So we may in the future not be able to move as much between different nations than what we did in the past. Um, saying that, we will always have an export and a, and a large import um, sector, especially in New Zealand. We, we need to be focused on, on what we can deliver to, to foreign countries. Speaking of export, this then is going to be a real problem because this will be the height of New Zealand's export season, right? Yeah, so, so what's, what's happening in the short term right now is we are, we are facing a few issues as the northern hemisphere is going into a winter. 
The first one is that um, China is still trying to suppress COVID very aggressively. And as we know that during winter time, you are most likely going to have a few more COVID cases popping up. And we saw China being quite aggressive, closing down parts of Shanghai. The port was seriously disrupted. Um, as we go yeah. into the next winter, maybe we will be expecting similar things coming out again. Um, at the same time, Europe is is in a very different situation this coming winter to compare to where it was last winter. So last winter, there was no war. Energy was flowing fairly um, smoothly between nations. And now energy has become more of a weapon. Uh, we mm. don't know exactly how Russia is going to be playing energy. And, and that is once again going to affect all the manufacturing and, and, all the, um, the, and the price of, of energy, which, which is a global thing which okay. will eventually ripple through to the New Zealand system. So this is interesting, Peter, for you. We're going to have to readjust our expectations of when we can get things possibly for good. Yeah, look, I'm on a few boards as an <clears throat> independent victor, and it's a conversation that, that we're, we're having on a, on a regular basis, you know, risk identification and, and analysis. Um, but also, I guess the question is, um, you know, what are the opportunities that come from that as well? I mean, you know, I always look on, on the other, other side of the coin. Are there opportunities for, you know, as was mentioned, further efficiencies, further collaboration, further focus um, when you're not expanding? Um, so it depends on the business, of course, and the type of business and sector that you're in. But um, certainly, I, I think most organisations and companies across, and, I, and, I, and not just companies, but even even charitable um, charities and, and non-profit organisations are having the same same conversations. Carol? Yep, that, that's, that's right, Peter. Um, risk is a funny thing. I always say that to people, especially my students, that while you're going through a hard time, some businesses are actually making a lot of money. Mm. So yeah. just look at what happened to mm. Netflix and those places during the, during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, I, I think some of the opportunities for New Zealand is a relatively stable economy. We've got a, a stable political regime. So mm. perhaps some of the manufacturing that used to take place in areas that are now maybe not so uh, are being seen as risky. Maybe some of that could move into New Zealand. Good point, uh, Victoria. Yeah, I think as a consumer, I've kind of accepted that this is our lot, at least for the short to medium term. But I do feel dreadfully sorry for exporters because it seems to me that no matter how much due diligence and preparation you do to make sure that you're goods or stock or whatever are ready to be exported, you're so reliant on like the ships arriving or sort of, you know, so many things further down the train that you just simply can't control. Yeah, that's, that's right, Victoria. Um, so the supply chain managers in any system are quite, quite well trained to deal with, we call it firefighting, but to deal with these day-to-day issues of ships not arriving and, and things like that. Um, they have been burning out over the last two or three years, and I've seen salaries going up quite a bit to actually get the right people on staff um, because mm. supply chain ma- a good supply chain manager these days is actually worth a lot more. We, we probably need to look at that as a permanent fixture in the future. With climate change alone, uh, we have seen a lot more disruptions and a lot more um, natural events that are definitely disrupting. So it's not um, just COVID, it's climate change really, pay, really, really playing a part in uh, supply chain management as well. Yeah, we, we definitely have any flooding, any, any um, big hurricane. Um, it was actually wind that caused the, the ship 
in the Swiss Canal to get stuck. So that was a, a windstorm. Right. Um, you That's know, so right. all all those type of things. It can it can almost pop up anywhere in a supply chain at any time. Very interesting topic, Dr. Carol Bezadenhout, a senior lecturer in supply chain management at the Massey University of Kyoto, Carol. Uh, very interesting, Peter. So you, you obviously deal with this quite a bit. I mean, who knew, right, that two years ago, supply chains and logistics would become such a hot topic? Yeah, well, there's conversations across boards in this country around, you know, what Donald Rumsfeld used to call the unknowns unknown, right? You know, where you sort of can manage, you know, through a risk register, you know, the, the, the things that could pop up, but, you know, COVID probably was never in, in, in the risk register for Air New Zealand, uh, 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 you know, a global pandemic. But there it is. It's disrupted that industry. So it's those, it's those five percenters um, that, you know, are there, um, but uh, they're now becoming more um, impactful. I mean, climate change, but also geopolitical. Um, you know, China, you know, anything that China does now impacts the whole world, as, as, as we see with the supply chain. Possibly a very good profession to get into, perhaps, at this stage, supply chain management. Yeah, and risk management. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 18 to 5, the panel, RNZ National, by the way, uh, thank you for uh, your test regarding who was the singer that sung alongside the Pet Shop Boys with that song, and it was none other than Dusty Springfield. Thanks for that. Yeah, fantastic singer. To this, the Auckland Sky Tower. It's hard to imagine the Auckland skyline without it. It's become as much a symbol of the city as the Harbour Bridge, maybe even more so. Wasn't always loved, far from it. Debate raged about whether we need a tower. The Herald reported in 1997 this will present taggers with a new challenge. Donald Trump came to New Zealand in 1993 and he was involved in an unsuccessful tender with local Lewi for the build. With us is Gordon Moller, who has had a long and distinguished career in architecture from small suburban homes to, well, designing the Sky Tower. Gordon, kia ora. Nice to have you on the panel. Kia ora. Thank you. 25 years on, still standing. How did you come to be the person that designed it? Did you put in an idea or a concept? What happened? No, we'd been working with uh, the client at the time of Braille Investments, and we'd done a lot of work with them. We were practising both in Auckland and Wellington, and uh, we've always got lots of ideas to float around and brainstorm. And so the uh, the executive at the time, Martin Lecter, appointed me to, to do the tower, and it came about because originally... Um, a project, the project was going to be up in uh, Simon Street, uh, but that uh, had a tower designed by others and it was never going to get through because of the view shaft issues that, that Auckland is very proud of. And so um, an arrangement was come to after an appeal through the, through the planning process, through the courts, that maybe a land could be swapped for the land downtown. And so at, at a minute's notice over the weekend, I had to figure out if I could fit the then proposal for a casino and hotels, the like, plus the Sky Tower, which we did. And then, of course, we went through the process of bidding along with the other uh, six bidders. Uh, it was a very long process. It took a year. And mm. the, the, the Sky City project won. And uh, the tower was not actually part of the casino licence, but it was parallel. It, it went in parallel with the casino as a, as a build and took a bit over two and a half years to build. So that's how it came about. And it created a lot of debate, didn't it, when first moved? I mean, you can forget your cycle lanes. The Sky Tower, it uh, was pretty robust. Well, look, that's understandable. I mean, when an architect designs a building, it's public, whether you, whether you like it or not. It might be a public building, but if it's in the environment 
then, in my view, it needs to respect the environment. It doesn't matter if it's a house or a factory or a commercial building or a tower. So people are always going to have a view about it. But what we did was we figured out what we thought we should need to do. The, the brief was for a communications tower as well as a tourist uh, facility. It had to have a certain type for that communicate type for the communications. We wanted to be able to see both harbours, the Manukau and the Waitemata, and so that was sort of the brief as it evolved. Um, then it was just a matter of coming up with a concept that, that uh, suited all that. And my idea was it needed to be slim and elegant and hopefully beautiful and reach for the sky. So that was the, the, the party or the idea that I had. And then I worked with some very uh, skillful and talented engineers yeah. um, from Beckers, uh, Dale Turkington, Gavin Pormack and Rob Jury. I mean, this is a, these are team efforts, really. They were terrific. Right. You know, we had to figure out how to resist the wind and the hurricanes and the seismic things. All those things come into it as far as how you go about designing it. We've got a panel here. They'll want to jump on in as well, Gordon. But can I just tell you, I'm a born and bred Auckland. love the city. You know, Tamaki Makaurau, born in uh, South Auckland there. But I spent many years away in the south in both Nelson and Dunedin. I left Auckland without the tower. And I can recall very clearly, Gordon, my first flight back into Auckland with Sky Tower, and it blew me away. I'm very proud of it. I absolutely love it. So I'm putting it out there right now. Um, you must be proud of it being such a stable in the Crown of Auckland. Yes, yes, I am. And it was good. We spent a huge amount, massive amount of time designing it and detailing it. And, you know, all the materials and the quality that went into it. Sky City were terrific clients to work with. And so it's proven, I think, the 25 years, it has a very special high-strength concrete, which has got a special... Uh, aggregate in it, so that's for the strength, but it's also why it's never discoloured. So we thought very ah. carefully about all the materials that came into the tower as well. Uh, uh, Victoria, you're from the, the great city, Wellington, without a tower. Are you jealous? Indeed. I wouldn't say jealous, and I would also say that I was one of those many that when I first saw it and the plans thought, oh my God, that's disgraceful. But I have been converted. <laughs> I love it. I think it's beautiful. I was in. Um, I spent the weekend in Waiheke um, a few week, weekends ago, and just being able to look over the harbour and see it, I think it's a beautiful vista and it's spectacular. And I think it's really iconic. Uh, you know, it's going to be a bit like the Sydney Harbour Bridge. It's it is part of Auckland, and it's something yeah that people recognise as Auckland. I think it's great. Stay there, Gordon. We've got Peter too. Yeah, Gordon. I'm a raised Aucklander, and every time I travel overseas and and um, for for work and come back, you know, it's just that feeling of of seeing the sky tower, particularly at night as you're flying in, and 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 it gives you that feeling of you know, being home, you know, and it's a question for you, Gordon, you know, do you, you, do you sometimes sort of drive or walk past and, and, and think to yourself, you know, I'm a bit chuffed, you know, I'm, that's, that, that's really nice. I mean, I, you know, for me, I, I, I wash the car and I think I'm chuffed, but, you know, <laughs> you, I mean, this is, this is a legacy that, 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 that you and the team, have, you know, do, do you have that feeling sometimes when you, when you, when you drive past? Yeah, yes, I do. In fact, I can see it now. So our office is going happy road off. Very good. At it. But just to answer Victoria's comment on her uh, thing about Wellington, I grew up in Lower Hutt. I grew up in Wellington. I practiced architecture in Wellington for 30 years, and I still live in both places, still on the practice on the Capity Ghost and also in Auckland. So all I would say is you'd never put a tower like that in, in Wellington that doesn't need it because it's got the, the vigour and the spatial oh, quality of the hills. So the thing about mm. Auckland, oh. why, why we felt quite strongly about it in terms of Sky City doing it was it makes you understand the isthmus, the two harbours, the edges, the 50 volcanic cones. And we were very sensitive about that. Also, the other things, we went through a very rigorous public process, planning mm. process, 
and we did modelling from all over Auckland, so we knew exactly what it was going to look like from any aspect of Auckland. And, of course, it acts as two things. It acts as a beacon, a reference point, because Auckland is the size of Greater London. It's got the Gulf, it's got the two harbours, but quite often in parts of, of Auckland you can't orientate yourself, and the tower is quite good from that point. So I think it does two jobs in terms of orientation. One is perceiving Auckland from above, and the other one is perceiving it in terms of where you are. Hey, just jumping in with some uh, breaking news here, just uh, mentioned that a light plane that took off from Franz Joseph this morning is missing in the Southern Alps. So we'll have more for you on that uh, on RNZ. Um, Gordon, leaving you very, very shortly, but uh, I want to say to you that the tower in Macau looks almost exactly the same, uh, about 10 metres taller at 338 metres. Did you design that as well? Yes. It, ah, it, is, it is somewhat different um, because um, of the of the topography there. It was a wonderful project to do, and uh, we had to do all sorts of things. They've got a, an airport there, which is out in the middle of the water, if you know Macau, and so we had to plot it in terms of where the flight paths were going and all those sort of things. But, uh, yeah, we learned a lot from Sky Tower, and we applied it to, to Macau. But, you know, Sky Tower is still working extremely well. It's... Uh, mm. It's in good shape. Sky City look after it. And, of course, it's got all the lighting that is wonderful that they use for computer-controlled lighting for all the various things. But I'll tell you one thing I'd like to say. Yeah. Of the things that I love about the Sky Tower is I go out to schools and uh, and was primary schools and they take the model out and talk about the tower and the kids come up with, they all love the tower, and they come up with some most fantastic ideas. They make models, they draw things far oh, better than gorgeous. I could do. And it's just fantastic oh. to see their enthusiasm. Oh, kia ora, Gordon. Oh, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on the program. Thank you very much for being with us on the panel. That is uh, Gordon Moller. Now he Gordon deserves a knighthood. What do you reckon? He deserves yeah, a knighthood. Yeah, actually. Do you reckon? Yes, yeah, he's agree. got a he's got a sense of um, all the humility. The, yeah, oh. he's very he's a very humble guy, eh? And uh, and so interesting what what he says, Victoria, is that uh, he is also from Wellington, and Wellington doesn't need a tower; it's good as it is. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, Correct. I agree. Beautiful <laughs> man. Um, uh, by the way, the Sky Tower is 328 metres. The Sydney Tower is 309 metres, a bit shorter. Space Needle is 184 metres, and the Eiffel Tower is 320 metres. And what do you think? Text me, 2101. Uh, do you like the Sky Tower? Or do you just hate it? Oh, no. <laughs> Here they come. Eight to five. Lovely to have your company. Now, picture this. You've had a lovely day out while on holiday in Darwin, seeing the sights, and you return to your caravan at a holiday park only to find a saltwater crocodile on your doorstep. How big is it? It's two and a half metres. It's very big. Well, that's what happened to two caravaners at the Dundee Beach Holiday Park, and Naomi Hogan runs that holiday park, answered the call for help, She's with us now. Naomi, welcome to the panel here in New Zealand. Oh, hi. How are you? <laughs> Very well, thank you, Naomi. Walk us through it. What happened? Uh, well, obviously I was home sleeping and um, got got a phone call and I thought, oh, who the hell's ringing? It was 11 o'clock. Um, and I, they didn't leave a message and then uh, proceeded to ring back and I thought, oh, I better, better answer it. And it was a lady staying in the park. She's like, oh, Naomi, there's a crocodile in the park. And I'm like, what? She's like, there's a crocodile in the park. It's outside somebody's caravan. I'm like, you're joking. I said, how big is it? And she goes, I don't know, but she was 
she was actually really freaking out. And I'm like, oh, yeah. it's probably just like a small crock. You know, we've, we've had small ones come up before. And I thought, you know, I, so I rang Deck, who's our yardie here. And I said, Deck, would you be able to just, because I was off site, I said, would you be able to just go over and have a look and just, just let me know? So Deck went over and he sent me a photo and rang me and um, obviously there was a couple of exclusives and, and then, uh, then I seen the photo and went, holy shit. Um, I said, oh, and he goes, what are you going to do? And I said, oh, I just didn't know off the top of my head. <laughs> I said, oh, I'll come down. You, 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 you come down, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I jumped in my car and um, drove down. And I uh, was thinking about things on the way down. I know a few people around the area that handle crops, so I was like, um, I'd sent a couple of texts already, hoping that, that one of them would just have called called me by the time I got to the park, but nothing. So, um, and then I, I got, I finally got onto one guy, uh, Tommy, um, and but he was he'd been in Darwin Cup, and so he was in Darwin having a great time thought it was hysterical um, that there was a two and a half metre soldier in the caravan park. Um, so we 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 just sort of mulled around the caravan. The people inside the caravan actually didn't even know that there was a crocodile at their doorstep. Let a alone crocodile, a crocodile at their doorstep. <laughs> two and a half metres. I'm looking at the door. I'm I'm looking at the door right now and thinking, okay, that's what is it about uh, two point one metres. That's huge. That is just huge. Victoria, I don't know how you'd deal with this, but I'd be super, um, I don't know, I'd be, I'd be scared. Well, I think yes. they make um, them tougher um, up north in Australia than certainly we are in Wellington. But yeah. so, what, what happened in the end? How did it, just, how did yeah. it resolve itself? Uh, well, thankfully, uh, one of the guys that I had messaged before um, he come through uh, about an hour and a half later, um, and uh, he was able to help us secure it. So it all it all ended well. Um, the people in the caravan um, finally come out because they could hear all the commotion, and um, he uh, Steve come out the door, and we're all yelling at him to go back inside because there was a crock at his doorstep, and then he was like, "Holy shit!" And so they were they were just stood inside their van looking out their window at this two because it was two and a half metres. We measured it when the ranges come down. And, um, yeah, it was just literally just sat at, at the door for like that good, well over an hour. Um, well over an hour. Until- it's one of, we've got a panel here too. Peter, it's one of those things that uh, you wouldn't – because uh, no, the thing is, Naomi, here in uh, Aotearoa, New Zealand, we don't have those sorts of things like crocodiles. We have – what do we have, Peter? <laughs> we have – we have uh, – <laughs> Ants. Um, we have a. We have a. What do we have? Sparrows. We've got sparrows. I can't think. I can't think of anything. We've got sparrows, Naomi. We don't have anything that can eat us whole. National emblem. The kiwi, which which I haven't seen one of those for five years. Um, I, one thing is interesting though. Uh, on a on a on a more sobering message is that. A lot of people in Darwin do know how to be croc safe. Is that right? There's a, even a public education campaign about being croc safe. Oh, absolutely. Because yeah, there's crocodiles in all our waterways here, and um, oh, you God. know we're 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 essentially <laughs> living amongst amongst all these waterways. So um, you know, 
the cocks do come into areas that are populated. Um, it doesn't happen too often, thankfully, uh, and I don't think it's ever happened to that extent in a caravan park before. Um, but, you know, it's a, one of those one-in-a-lifetime things. Uh, Steve and Sue will have certainly have a tale to tell on the rest of their travels around Australia. I don't think there'll be many people that will be able to pip that story. Hey, all the best for the holiday park. Let's hope uh, that you don't get too many saltwater crocs of entering uh, your way <laughs> anytime soon. Lovely to have you join us, uh, Naomi. Thank oh, you. Thank you so much. Come and see us at Dundee Beach Holiday Park. Absolutely. <laughs> croc safe, here we come. Uh, and yes. that is why, oh, pet shop, that is why, Victoria, we're in Aotearoa, right? Because we don't have the snakes, we don't have the crocs, we have sparrows. That's what we do. Peter Fafia, Victoria Stewart, thank you very much for your time. Thanks to Charlie Drever. I'm Wallace Chapman. Lisa Owen next. See you tomorrow. Power Battle Friday, 3.45. Till then.